all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And joining me today, I have Dr. Paul Byers, who is the State Epidemiologist at the Mississippi Department of Health. And we're going to be talking about influenza or the flu today. So if you have questions or comments about the flu, we would love to hear those today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And my email is fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Dr. Byers. Good morning. Thank you for coming in and joining me on a Monday. I know it's probably not either one of our favorite days of the week, but we're here. And we're excited to talk about the flu. Um, and this is actually the first time I've had someone on to talk about the flu in, in all the couple of years I've been doing this show. So, Well, the, certainly the timing is right. It is the right timing. It is the right timing. Tell me a little bit about what you, what you do on a daily basis. So I work in the Office of Communicable Diseases at the Department of Health, and that encompasses epidemiology, and we study infectious diseases and the occurrence of infectious diseases and the population that it affects. And from that data that we look at, we determine what are some public health measures that we can put in place to try to prevent illness. Um, You know, that also uh, is looking at the Office of Immunization and tuberculosis and STD, HIV. So we encompass a lot of activities. And You know, one of the things that we do that gets often a lot of publicity is outbreak investigations. Mm -hmm. When we have a large common source exposure of something that's making folks sick and what we do around that and how we notify the public to to let them know for their awareness, but also some steps on they can do to to prevent illness in themselves. Yeah. So really a whole lot of things are encompassed by the office that, that you do, not just the flu, but right now the timing is, is right for talking about the flu as an emerging um, public health topic for this time of the year, right? Certainly uh, influenza surveillance is a big part of what we do that gets geared up when we start getting into October and will extend for several months so we can watch, you know, where's the flu happening, who's it affecting, uh, the timing of the flu, the types of viruses that are causing illness, um, so that we can make some some appropriate recommendations. Right. So let's just kind of start at the at the basics um, and say, what, what the heck is the flu? What is the flu? Yeah, so the flu is a respiratory viral infection. Uh, it's transmitted person to person through respiratory droplets. So if somebody coughs or sneezes, or, you know, if you touch a surface where somebody has just coughed or sneezed and then rub your eyes, your nose, your mouth, you can become infected if you're susceptible. Um, Can make you pretty sick. Most of us who've had the flu know that it's not a picnic, right? It's horrible. Um, (laughs) You know, um, uh, a lot of muscle aches, Mm. headache, 
fever, cough, you know, sometimes some runny nose. You just feel like you've been hit by a train. Mm -hmm. Most people recover within a few days without any long-term problems, but we know for some people it can cause some pretty significant health concerns and in some cases deaths can Mm -hmm. occur as a result of influenza. Absolutely. So high high points from that is one, it's a viral illness. So antibiotics, not really what we want to do for influenza unless we wind up with some kind of secondary infection afterwards, which we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, And so um, we don't need to be calling and asking for Z-packs and all these kinds of things that folks normally do. But a cold is also a virus, right? right? What's the difference in the cold, just a common cold and seasonal influenza? So a cold can make you feel uh, pretty bad, Mm -hmm. too. And there are lots of different types of viruses that can that can give you cold symptoms. Mm -hmm. And certainly, you know, one of the confusing pieces is a lot of times when we get into flu season, that's also cold season. And we see a lot of those things being transmitted. Um, For one, it's it's not as uh, severe an infection. Um, Typically, we're not seeing a lot of significant complications from it. Usually don't see fever with a cold. You can see fever, but uh, usually don't. Um, usually don't have those real hard, significant aches mm. and muscle pain and, you know, just can't get your head up off the pillow. And and again, you know, most people recover from a cold as well without right. any long-term, right. long-term problems. But it can be confusing. One of the biggest things that we see a difference in is, is the fever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's more pronounced so in adults. Kids can run fever more often with just a a cold, but adults usually don't run at least a high fever with just your average cold, maybe just a little low grade 99, just kind of feel blah. But with the flu, you're you're pretty, pretty sick. And again, those muscle aches and joint aches that you mentioned are really terrible. The first time I can remember having the flu as an adult, I was pregnant with, Oh, oh gosh, yes, with my first child. And so of course, that freaked me out because you know, I'm sick. I have this little growing person inside me. And, you know, you really are trying to keep down temperature when when you're growing a baby uh, and all you can have is Tylenol. And you know, so I'm pretty sure I spent the majority of the three or four days that I was sick, like in a tepid bath <laughs> or right. being sponged off by my mom trying to keep my temperature down. But the aches were the part that was were so that's what I remember in my head is just how bad the the aches were and you kind of constantly want to change positions trying to make the muscle aches better and they they don't get better yeah with that and and you know the the flu is is certainly not not a benign right. illness right um and like i said you know for most of us uh it makes you feel awful All right. but we recover um but you know there's a segment of the population that that really have a higher risk Mm -hmm. for complications Mm -hmm. can be hospitalizations and in some cases death. So, you know, with a cold, there's not a vaccine with a flu. There's a vaccine. And it, I mean, it's so important. We're going to spend a a fair amount of time talking about 
flu vaccination, why it's important, and kind of the, the different types of flu vaccine that are out there, especially this kind of high dose for mm-hmm. our older population. I want to make sure we talk about that. Um, and some kind of misconceptions about flu vaccine and some myths around some of those things as well. But I do want to make sure that we we kind of highlight the fact that just like what you said, there are populations of folks that even something that is considered just something terrible, but you go through it for about a week, you feel terrible, you might probably lose a little bit of weight because you're not eating very much, but you recover well. There are subsets of people who are considered high risk for contracting influenza and will have poor outcomes when they do that. What kind of folks are our higher risk folks that we just absolutely want to try not to get the flu? Well, so one of the populations is for sure our younger kids. Mm -hmm. So um, children, under the age of 18, we see a higher risk for them, especially in children under the age of five and even more so under the age of a year or six mm-hmm. months. So we know that they um, are very susceptible to severe complications. It's imperative that children get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see um, uh, more complications in older populations, in folks over the age of 65 Individuals with underlying chronic medical problems like hypertension, well, not hypertension, but heart disease, heart disease. Di- diabetes, uh, chronic lung disease, pregnant women mm-hmm. are at higher risk. Um, even people who um, are severely obese can be at higher risk for complications from from flu. Mm-hmm. And it can, you know, it can make whatever chronic disease you're having worse if you have asthma. It can certainly lead to more wheezing, right. more asthma attacks. But in some cases, it can give you even um, a viral pneumonia yeah. or a secondary bacterial pneumonia that can be uh, can be very dangerous. Right. And we tend to see that in our older population when they seem to kind of be getting better from the flu. And then all of a sudden they kind of slide back down and start to have fever again. Their cough gets worse or the color of the sputum starts to change more. Then we start to worry about, oh, it's not just the flu that's hanging on, that they've gotten a secondary infection. So the flu has a, a relatively predictable trajectory of, of symptom progression and how long it lasts. And when we're not getting better or we're suddenly getting worse toward the tail end of it, that's when we start to worry about those secondary bacterial infections. We've got open lines, and if you want to give us a call, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Six, four. Now, what about um, immunocompromised patients? So maybe people who are on immunosuppressants from a, an organ transplant oh, or who yeah. are on chemotherapy, right? That's another population that we've really got to be careful with. And it's absolutely vital that they get, they get vaccinated. You know, one of the important things that we think about is even if you're a caregiver for somebody at higher risk, mm-hmm. because... You can protect that person. You can build a cocoon around that person who may have a higher risk of complications. If the folks who take care of young kids, who take care of our older, our sickest population, are vaccinated themselves, so it's not just important for those people at high risk, 
it's impo- it's important for the people around them who serve serve them. Right, absolutely. And we're going to explore the topic of the flu vaccine and why it's important and who all should get the flu vaccine when we come back from this first break. If you've got a question or a comment for us, now's a perfect time. Number's one eight seven seven mpb ring And my email is fit at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a few. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMC, joined today by Dr. Paul Byers, a state epidemiologist at the Mississippi Department of Health. And we are talking about the dreaded flu that has already started to uh, rear its ugly head around here in these parts. If you've got a question or a comment about the flu, uh, we'd love to hear from you today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. All right, before the break, we kind of alluded uh, to vaccination, but I want to really spend some time talking about it because it's a It's a controversial topic for some folks. There are very much people who are firmly in the I've never had the flu. I'm not going to get the flu shot camp. And then there are folks like me who are like first in line when the flu shot becomes available um, to get that. Let's talk about why vaccination is so important and why it's a primary strategy for the prevention of the flu. So there's a couple of reasons, right? Number one, with the flu vaccine, you get the best potential protection against infection. Now, you know, we see every year um, publications that the flu vaccine is not very effective at preventing illness. And honestly, it's not often very good at preventing the illness, although it's still the best thing that we have for preventing it. The biggest payoff, the biggest impact of the flu vaccine is the prevention of those complications. Mm -hmm. What we see is that people who are vaccinated, if you do get the flu, it's going to be less severe. You have less risk of hospitalizations. You have less risk of death. So it's not going to be as bad. Mm -hmm. That's the real big benefit of the flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I really want to make sure that everybody heard that, right? So Flu vaccine can be great for prevention, but even if you happen to get the flu after you've had a flu shot, the symptoms are often much less severe than they would have been had you not had the vaccine. So even if it doesn't work 100% and you still get it, you're likely going to have a better course of disease than if you did not receive the vaccination. Yeah. And, a, and, a, and a lesser risk of transmitting it to other individuals. And that's another really, really good one there. Because I know when we, when somebody in my house gets it, they get quarantined. <laughs> like you get, you get in another room and, you know, I will 
pass you some notes underneath the door, but we're going to let you incubate in there by yourself. Just slide the food in. Yeah, just slide the food in there, you know, unless it's one of my little tiny kids. But even then, I wear a mask, and I'm not even kidding. Uh, <laughs> but let's talk about different um, different types of flu vaccine, because there are some, some different varieties. I know we've seen kind of flu mist in the past, which is right. the, the non-injectable. It's a nasal spray, right? right. Is that still right. a thing? It is still a thing. It's, it's not as highly recommended as it was before. The point is, when we talk about all the different variations of, of flu vaccine that's available, the biggest thing is to remember, get any flu vaccine, mm-hmm. get something, right? Yeah. Um, and, and especially for your kids. And there's lots of different formulations, but the most important piece is getting the vaccine, not as much what you get. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we've got a caller on the line, so we'll take a, a break about uh, vaccines for a minute and go talk with Joe in Natchez. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. How are you? How are you? I'm doing I'm okay. just better than I deserve. Tell me what we can help you with today. Well, I wanted, I wanted to, did I uh, tell you, were you the one I was talking to on the phone? No, sir. You were talking to our call okay. screener. You are on the air with us. Okay. Well, let me tell you again. Yes, please. My grandmother told me, my great-grandmother told me that she came from Africa on a slave ship with her brother and her mother. And she said her mother was a cook on a plantation in the Delta. Mm-hmm. And she said and she was sickly when she was a child. So the owners of this plantation sent her off to build her resistance. And she said when she came back, she never had a sick day again. Mm-hmm. Say so she could walk in the snow and never even catch a cold. When she died, she had all her teeth. All right. Everything. She said she never had a headache or nothing. So what the question I've got is, what type of place did she go to and what did they do? Oh, gosh. All right. Well, hard to say exactly where she went and what they did, but the notion of building up your immune system, Dr. Byers, let's talk about that. Well, certainly, you know, what you're exposed to and what you've been infected with can help protect you down the road. You know, think about when we had the pandemic influenza right? H1N1. Mm-hmm. And we saw a certain group of the population that was severely affected by that. And it was the younger folks, mm-hmm. right? But this was a new virus that none of us had any immunity to. We had not seen it before. And so really everybody's was susceptible. But what we found was that there were a group of older people who actually may have had less susceptibility just because they had been around long enough Mm. to see previous strains of influenza that they had been exposed to. So the more times that you're exposed to to viral infections, you do build up some immunity. Um, The problem is we don't want to rely 100% on that. Certainly there are always going to be folks who, who may have been exposed to certain viruses or even certain bacteria where they have some level of immunity. We don't want to rely on that in flu because we do have an opportunity to provide some additional Im- immunity, especially to those viruses that we've seen 
most recently circulating mm-hmm. and causing illness. And this is a way for us, if you are immune, we've, we've, we've given you some additional protection. Right. Because another thing to remember about flu in particular is it's not just one virus that's circulating every year. It's multiple viruses. And a lot of times we see three or four different viruses in a given year that are causing illness. Just because you have the flu that one time during the season doesn't mean that you're protected against all of them. Mm -hmm. You may be protected against that one. That's the beauty of the vaccine is that it can help protect against all of those things that might be going around. Right. All right, Joe, so couldn't really give you where where she went and what they exposed her to, but we do know that exposure to different things does tend to build up your immune system somewhat. I remember back to when I was a brand new pediatric nurse, and the first six months, I swear, I was sick with absolutely everything because kids like to share their toys and their germs. And so I was sick, and then after after a couple months of that, I, w- I had a good stout immune system and it took something <laughs> something big to knock me down mm-hmm. and get me going there so i hope that answered your question a little bit if not you can always send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org all right so let's uh, kind of get back to the flu vaccine we talked about flu mist which is the nasal spray um, but when we talk about the actual injection of the flu vaccine, there's something called trivalent, mm-hmm. right? And there's quadrivalent. Right. What does that mean? So the trivalent is a, is directed against three different types of influenza. It's usually two A's and one B that have been circulating around. But we know that any given season, like I was saying, mm-hmm. You know, there can be a couple of different A's that can cause infection, but there can also be a couple of different B's. And so the trivalent is against two A's and and one B. The quadrivalent is actually against two A's and two B's that it will provide protection from. So it just gives you some extra benefit against that other potentially circulating Mm -hmm. Influenza B virus right. that may cause infection. But if all you have access to is a trivalent, get it, get it, right? Whatever you can get, get it. Get it. If that's if if you go into your doctor or you go into your pharmacy and that's what's available, don't wait. Mm-hmm. Get get that. Yeah, and then there's kind of a uh, higher dose mm-hmm. variety for our older population, right? right? Talk to me about that and why well, that's needed. So the senior dose, mm-hmm. right? We know that. A lot of times, um, as we get older, our immune system may not respond as well to vaccines as when we're younger, mm-hmm. right? So you, from a traditional vaccine, you may not build up as much immunity as you did, say, 10, 20 years ago. The senior dose is for those 65 and older, and it has more of the antigen in it. It has more of the stuff in it, in the vaccine, that you build up the immune response to. And so it's been shown that it does actually give seniors an increased immune response, increased protection when they use the senior dose. Now, it's a recommendation, but it's not a requirement, right? And again, the same is true for seniors. If you're over the age of 65 and you go into your provider and the senior dose is not available, get the traditional quadrivalent or trivalent dose. Uh, But the senior dose does provide some additional protection. All right. That's great. All right. We're going to continue talking a little bit more about vaccination and kind of how long it takes for the vaccine to start start 
providing some protection when we come back from this next break. We've got open lines, so now's a great time to give us a call. That number's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 We'll be back in just a few. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell here with Dr. Paul Byers, and we are talking about influenza today. We've had um, some great information that we've put out about uh, the flu, about uh, how to prevent it, and we've been spending a little bit of time on vaccinations or getting your flu shot, and both of us fully endorse getting that flu shot. Um, A couple of things I wanted to make sure that we talk about in regards to that are the fact that the flu shot is different on a yearly basis. So just because you had one last year doesn't mean you're good for this year, right? we got to get it every year. That's correct. It's recommended every year, not just once. Right. And they can vary, right? So last mm-hmm. year's shot may not be the same as this year's shot, correct? That's correct. How, how do they determine what goes in there? So, you know, like I said, there are different strains. Mm-hmm. And, and over time, those strains can change a bit. Um, so we see that sort of evolution of, of flu viruses. They, the one that you got last year may be a bit different than the one that's going around this year. And so, you know, CDC and the World Health Organization, they look at the types of flu that's circulating in places like Australia or in the Southern Hemisphere because their flu is opposite of ours, right? So what's been going on there? But also... They look at the types of strains that were predominant in the prior year Mm. because they may have been in some unexpected or some newer ones. And so that's how they try, it's a best guess, Mm -hmm. to target which of the vaccine strains to include in the vaccine that will be most protective in any given year. Yeah, but even if they don't get it 100% right. It's still important to get it. Even when those circumstances where we say that it was a, the match was a little bit off, it still provides significant protection. Right. Absolutely. So get that flu shot. Now let's talk timing of flu right. shot. Is it ever too, too early? Like once it's released, is it too early to get it? Does the immunity wear off before the end of flu season? What kind's the optimal timing? Boy, those are some great questions, right? And I think our, our understanding and the science is evolving mm. around those particular questions. Um, you know, usually it's recommended that you get the vaccine before the end of October. It's never too late, right? 
But um, it usually takes a couple of weeks for your immunity buildup and the, the flu vaccine to be protective for you. You don't want to wait until we come out and we tell you that flu's everywhere. Right. That we're having widespread circulation of flu. I mean, you can still get the vaccine at right. that point if you, if you haven't. But it's better to be protected before the big spread of flu mm-hmm. hits. So do it in if by the end of October or even now for sure if you haven't been vaccinated. In a typical flu season, we start to see increases in our activity in November, December, going into January, February, sometimes in March, and those are the months where we see our typical peak activity. But it's not too late to get the flu shot at any point during that time if you haven't. Right now, the recommendation is still one shot per season. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not a recommendation for for a booster booster. at the end of the season. Yeah. And so um, what I'm hearing is if you're still out there and you haven't gotten that flu shot, it's not too late. Go ahead and get that flu shot. If you've got a question or a comment for us about the flu, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring All right. And it does take a little time from when you get the shot until kind of your immune system kicks up and is as at as much protection as it's going to give you from the flu, right? Yeah, usually a couple of weeks. Yeah, so it's in, important to kind of go ahead and do it. I always tell folks, you know, if you're going to be traveling in the airport and those kinds of things, try to plan your flu shot, you know, a week to two weeks before you do that. Oh, that's such a great idea. Yeah. Because it's, I just got back from flying last week and I am the person that has the Clorox wipes like in her bag. And when I sit down in the <laughs> in the seat out, you know, I wipe down the tray and the seat belt buckle and everybody's looking at me weird until they're sick. And then they're like, can I borrow one of your wipes? Mm-hmm. And then I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I tell my husband anyway. But yeah, so get your flu shot, get it earlier than, um, than later, but if you have not gotten it, it is not too late to go ahead and get that. Um, the other question I get a lot, I get asked a lot about the flu vaccine is preservatives in the flu vaccine, and is that something that we need to be worried about? Uh, it's not, and and you know one of the things that that had brought some concerns previously was was about thimerosal right. as a pres- as a preservative, and and you can actually get preservative free mm-hmm. vaccine if if you and your provider are concerned about it. Yeah, and most doses that are the the already drawn up single dose don't vaccines have they don't they're ready to go. Yeah, the the multi dose vials do, and for for the reason that anytime we go in and out of a vial multiple times when we're drawing those up that in, can introduce bacteria in there and that preservative helps keep that from happening there but the majority of the flu shots that you get i know at my kids doctor's office they're already drawn up ready they're to go syringes and ready to go those are preservative yeah. free now is there anyone who shouldn't get the flu shot yeah you know there are some people who are can be allergic to some of those components and you know one of the big things we've always talked about is egg allergy Mm -hmm. with people but this really needs to be a significant egg allergy you know one of the rules of thumb is if you can eat a piece of cake that has that's been made with with egg and you don't have an allergic reaction you're not going to have an allergic reaction to the components within the flu vaccine. And, you know, the traditional flu vaccine is still uh, egg-based technology. It's still grown and developed in in eggs. But there are now flu vaccines available that are independent of that egg 
technology. And if even if you think you've got a, an egg allergy, you can still get vaccinated with those egg-free um, vaccines. So it shouldn't be a problem. Um, the number of folks who, who really have contraindications or can't get mm. the flu shot is very small. Yeah. So if someone has an, a severe egg allergy and they go to their health care provider and they do not have the egg-free flu vaccine, how can someone find out where they can get that? You know, they, they should be able to talk to their pharmacy and, and more than likely they're going to have that particular type uh, available. Fantastic. So we had that come up in clinic this past yeah. week. We had someone with a severe egg allergy. All right. So that's kind of the flu vaccine in a nutshell. But if you still have questions about that, we're happy to take those. That number again is one eight seven seven mpb ring All right. So vaccination is key. But what are some other things we can do to help prevent the flu and prevent the spread of the flu? And it's the same stuff you can do to help prevent the spread of colds, mm-hmm. right? And that is, you know, the kind of things that we always talk about. You know, that environmental stuff that you were talking about where you clean off mm-hmm. things with wipes. Again, one of the things that we see with, with flu is that people will sneeze or cough into their hands, Ugh, right? I know. And and if they're sick, now those those virus particles are on their hands, and then they go and they touch the doorknob, or they shake hands with someone, mm-hmm. and if that person is susceptible, they may then develop flu, or if somebody touches that doorknob after somebody who sneezed or coughed in their hands. So that's a big one, mm-hmm. right? Cover your coughs and sneezes. And the best way to sneeze is n- not sneeze into your hands. Right. The best way to cough is to not cough into your hands. But to cough into your your elbow, elbow. right, yeah. and um, and that way you're you're preserving your your hands. You're not getting that virus all over you. So that's one thing. But also it's it's incumbent upon us to wash our hands frequently. Right. Avoid touching your face, your eyes, your nose, your mouth with with hands you haven't washed, because you can pick up those virus particles from from different things. So. Um, you know, if you if you do develop symptoms of flu, stay home. Gosh, yes. don't yeah. don't go to work. Don't let your child go to school because we know that schools can be little incubators of influenza. And like you were talking about before, kids they can trade, share. they can share, <laughs> they can really share. So, you know, don't go to work if you have the flu. Um, don't go to work until you've been at least twenty four hours free of of fever. Without fever reducer. Without taking <laughs> ibuprofen or Tylenol, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and keep your kids home home from school, too. And, um, you know, uh, if you need to see the doctor, uh, call your doctor, mm-hmm. right? Let let them know what your symptoms may be because uh, we know that things can be shared in waiting rooms Right, right. Well. And tell the check-in person when you go in, hey, I think I have the flu. I think I have the flu. I see more and more that doctor's offices have masks mm-hmm. available for for their patients that and they post that you know this is flu season if you have symptoms of the flu let us know let us know we'll give you a mask and don't be surprised if your provider comes in the room with a mask on as well you know we're just trying to prevent the spread all all across the clinic um, and so we can stay healthy to keep taking care of all those folks who get the flu and and, you know flu is tricky right because um, it 
you can transmit it. You can be infectious. You can be communicable and give mm-hmm. it to somebody else even before you have symptoms, mm-hmm. up to a day before. Right. So a lot of times you may have already exposed people, but cut it off, man. If you get right. sick, don't don't go to work. Right, right. And I really, really want to highlight that part about coughing in your elbow. So if my children were here or any of the thousand of uh, nursing students that I have taught over the years, they would sing you a song that I've made all of them learn and oh, sing, wow. which is cough into your elbow. That is where the germs go. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so um, when I'm live and in person, I wrap it and do a little dance. But you can't see that here on the air. But just remember, cough into your elbow. That is where the germs go. Uh, and it really is so important. You know, we tend to not think about coughing in our hand and then touching something. But how long does the flu live on a surface? You know, that's that's variable. And certainly that can depend on the type of surface and, you know, whether it's wet or, or dry, not, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. Certainly for hours. Mm, yeah. So it's not not something that just because it's been a few minutes it's going to be okay. So that's right. It's really important to do those things, wiping down things, you know, in a school classroom. Um, I always recommend wiping the doorknobs down. Any high touch area. The light switch, Mm -hmm. the pencil sharpener, all of those different kinds of things. And really wiping down those desks in between classes as well, because those kids are going to, going to snot on it a little bit there. They, you know, and they don't mean to. And adults too. (laughs) Yeah. And adults, adults too. They do it as well. All right. We're going to go ahead and take the last break of the hour. When we come back, we've got a couple callers on the line and we will get to those, but now is the perfect time to get on the line with us if you have a question or a comment that number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 be back in just a few This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today is Dr. Paul Byers, and we've been talking all about influenza today. We've got a couple of callers on the line, and we're going to go ahead and hop over there and get to their questions. We're going to start with um, Richard and Jackson. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. What can we help you with? Uh, I'm a caregiver for my mother who is homebound, Mm. and my question is, uh, is there any service that I can uh, get to come to the house to administer the flu shot? We were talking a little bit about this over the break, and there wasn't just a, a perfect answer that we came up with there. Richard, does she get any kind of home health services? Uh, not at the current time. No. Okay. That would be kind of one thing that I would check with maybe your actual, whoever her primary care provider is to see right. if they have a, a home health agency who can come out and do something like that. 
um, or checking with the pharmacy to see if they're going to have any kind of mobile clinics or things that are going to be closer to you guys. Anything else you've got there, Dr. Myers? I, I think that that's the, the biggest one is um, a lot of times, you know, pharmacies will partner with services for for folks who are homebound or the elderly where they can you know, provide those at a more central location where they come out and, and do it. And certainly that's worth worth exploring. Mm-hmm. But I think the primary care provider would be the place to start. Yeah, I think that is as well. If I hear about anything else, Richard, I'll make sure that they post it up online so that we'll have that resource out there for you. Okay, great. Super. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. All right, moving on to Marsha. Good morning, Marsha. Good morning, doctors. I've uh, got a question for you. Sure. A few years ago, I was working with uh, somebody who was uh, being treated, I think it was a particular kind of cancer. And you can tell me if I'm correct or not. I, I'm thinking that they told us to be careful around this person if we had a vaccination. Now, my question is for any vaccine, not just flu. Mm. Is, does that, first of all, does that, does that ring true? And second of all, is that true for the flu shot? or shingles or whatever. Can you all talk about that? Sure. Absolutely, Dr. Byers. Well, it's true for a couple of of different types of vaccines, and it's the vaccines that we call live vaccines. Ah, the live vaccines. Right, and the ones that you would think about that would be, you know, that would fall into that category are things like measles, mumps, rubella, or the MMR vaccine, varicella vaccine, uh, that's for chicken pox. And so Mm -hmm. those are the types of of vaccines that you would want to make sure that, you know, the, the individual's provider was aware of if you had gotten those recently, and that would follow okay. those recommendations. For the flu vaccine, um, no. Um, the flu vaccine doesn't, it's not a live vaccine. It's not going to give you the flu, and you're not going to, in turn, potentially affect somebody else who's, whose immune system may be compromised. Gotcha. Okay, that, that makes sense. Thank you very much. Yes, You're ma'am. welcome, Marsha. Thank you so much for that call. It's okay. a, a great point to bring up about those live virus vaccines and the ones you mentioned, MMR, um, varicella, so the chicken pox, um, shingles vaccine mm-hmm. as well. Those are all live virus vaccines. And so if you have one, someone who is severely immunocompromised, there is the potential um, to kind of spread that over there. But the flu vaccine is not, so you are good to go there. All right, we're going to hop on over to Mobile and talk with Ranson. Is that your name? Yes, it is. All right, making sure I got it right this morning. What can we help you with? Good morning, good morning. Uh, I have a kind of a twofold question. Okay. Uh, A lot of times we go to the restaurant, and I'm told that the menus are among the most disease-carrying objects in a restaurant. And is washing with alcohol as effective uh, in cleaning hands and surfaces as maybe some other products? That's my question this morning. Okay. All right. What do you think? It, it can be. I mean, you know, we know this that viruses can be very susceptible to those things like the alcohol hand rubs that, that are very common right now. Um, certainly um, any object that is a high-touch object like like a menu or, or in, doorknobs we talked about, anything mm-hmm. that people are touching, that anything that they have could be potentially. So the, the biggest thing is for us to be proactive for ourselves and make sure that we're washing our hands after touching some of those things. Uh, but the alcohol-based hand rubs can be 
very effective at at viruses and at certain bacteria in in killing them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And one of the things that I um, am always aware of is if maybe you're at a salad bar or something like that, all the little handles for mm-hmm. all the little ingredients. You know, so um, I always make sure at, if I'm eating at a buffet or something like that, especially during cold and flu season, after I fix my plate of that. I make sure I wash my hands after An- I do another that. Another thing you can do that I've done before, too, is you, is you can use a napkin to mm-hmm. hold those things. Just like after you wash your hands, you want to turn off the faucet, hold in that, that paper towel. You can you can do the same thing with a napkin to yeah, give you some absolutely. of that protection. So alcohol-based hand sanitizer is better than nothing. Um, and certainly if you're not going to wash your hands well, let you have <laughs> occupational hazard as a nurse i tend to critique other people's hand washing in the bathroom and i'm mm-hmm. like Mm-mm, you need to do that again because you you didn't get in all the spots you know so warm water yeah absolutely you want to do uh, warm water not hot because when we do super hot water that will actually cause some cracking in the skin and can do some skin infections and those kinds of things so nice warm water nice soap wet those hands get that soap on there and make a nice little sudsy lather going on there i just picture all the little germs getting trapped in all the little bubbles in my hand and then rinsing those well using that paper towel and i use more than one paper towel Mm kind of dry one one hand with one and one hand with the other and then cut that faucet off with another paper towel and then i go a step further and i (laughs) i use a paper towel to open the door um, as well i also judge restaurants um i give them an extra point if they have one of those kicks stands on the bottom of the door Mm -hmm. that you can open with your foot those are my favorite restaurants because they're thinking about infection control there Mm -hmm. so those are are my good hand washing tips of the day there and make sure you get in between your fingers and around your fingernails and all these different kinds of places where germs can can hide and really it only takes about 15 or 20 seconds to get a good hand wash I sing the happy birthday song two times. Twice. Two times, right? And it can be a different uh, happy birthday to someone every single time, or it can just be to you. Mm. All right. Thank you very much for that call. I hope that answered your question there. All right. Let's say all of our best plans went awry and we've gotten the flu. Yes. We've already talked about staying home when you're sick, 24 hours fever-free without a fever-reducing medication before Mm. you go back. Um, what are some other things that we can do to try and, and speed our healing as we are ill? Well, we talked about um, those individuals who are at highest risk for, for complications and even people who are not. You know, one of the things, if, if you, there, there are antivirals mm-hmm. that, that can help with the symptoms and reduce the severity, reduce how long you have the symptoms, even reduce your, your risk of transmitting it to others. And those are things like... Tamiflu mm-hmm. that we've all heard of. It's important to try to get that started earlier in the course rather than later. It's going to have a bigger impact within the first 24 to 48 hours. Always, That's not always possible. Um, but especially if you're prone, if you're in those high-risk categories and you think you have the flu, don't hesitate to, to work with your primary care right. provider because those antivirals, if started early, can also reduce the risk of complications. So it's extremely important. And to take them as directed. So if you get antivirals, if you get put on Tamiflu for your flu infection, take the entire course. Mm -hmm. That's going to be the best way that you can make sure that you beat it 
that you reduce your risk and that you reduce the risk of transmitting to others. Right. And, you know, if you're a caregiver of someone in the, in the home and they have gotten the flu, that you can also do Tamiflu prophylactically for you as well, especially if you're in that high risk where if you were to get the flu, you have a greater risk of complications. Tamiflu can be taken to try and prevent you developing the symptoms of the flu as well. But, you know, for kids especially, you don't want to rely on the Tamiflu right. to be to be what you're, you're combating flu with. Absolutely. Um, you know, we see last year there were about 180 deaths in children nationwide. Mm -hmm. We saw three deaths in children under the age of 18 in Mississippi last year. Over the last several years, um, we've seen um, pediatric influenza deaths almost every year. Um, It's so important to get your kids vaccinated because the majority of those children that die from influenza are unvaccinated unvaccinated kids. And so it's it's so vital. It, 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 I mean, I can't stress it enough that it really is uh, the most powerful tool that we have in the, the fight against influenza and really better outcomes for everyone, even if you develop the flu after receiving the flu vaccine, even though the flu vaccine is not what caused Absolutely. the influenza there, contrary to popular belief. Um, so I hope we have given you um, some good information today about the flu and ways to prevent it and ways to prevent the transmission of it if you have it. Remember that we both recommend the flu vaccine, and I fully recommend the coughing into your elbow because that is where the germs go. And I'd also like to mention, if you do have the flu, make sure you're hydrating well, you're drinking plenty of fluids, um, because that's going to help thin out that snot, which is going to help you be able to blow it out or cough it up and just feel better overall. So make sure you hydrate well. Water, tea, warming beverages, those all help and make you feel a little bit better there. So gosh, we're out of time for today. I think we addressed a lot of the issues out there. But if you had a question and didn't get it in, you can always email me at fit at mpbonline.org. Dr. Byers, thank you so much for coming in and talking with us today. Remember to tune in every weekday at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. 